And if we could, let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. I think I'll be saying this like for the next year. Verse 11. If you've been with us the past few uh, weeks, we've been studying what's called the Olivet Discourse. How many of you have heard of the, the term Olivet Discourse? This is the pretty words that theologians say. It just basically means Jesus is talking from the Mount of Olives. That's what's happening. He's right outside Jerusalem. Basically, the east gate of the old city of Jerusalem opens up. You go down a little bit and you come up and there's the Mount of Olives there, right, right there. And it's there that a few of Jesus' disciples, they come to him privately. Uh, one of the other gospels says, and they ask him about what he had just prophesied when he was in the city. Jesus said that not one stone would be left upon another considering Jerusalem. They wanted to know when that would happen. And when his coming would be, when the coming into his kingdom would be, and then the end of the age. And so we're talking about the end times here in Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapters 24 and 25 are Jesus's teaching on his second coming. What he wants us to know. Also, you have it in Luke 21, I think, and also in Mark 13. Uh, These are all kind of parallel type of passages. And in Matthew's account here in chapter 24, Jesus begins answering their questions by giving all the disciples. Well, the four that were there, it was the fishermen brothers. So uh, Peter and his brother, Andrew and James and John, they came to him privately. And uh, while they're all hanging out there on on the side at, at night. And Jesus begins answering their questions by giving the disciples all the signs that would precede his coming. You want, well, people want to know, What's going on in the world? What's this all leading up to? How do we know what's going on? Well, Jesus starts to give signs. He gives his disciples signs. He goes, these are the things you have to pay attention to. These are the things I want you to know about before my coming. And we're seeing these things play out now. And he, and we've already been going through them. He begins there. I think in verse four, verse three says false Christ. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Nations are going to rise against nation. Kingdom's going to rise against kingdom. There'll be famines, earthquakes in various places. And Jesus says of these things in verse eight, if you're looking there, Matthew 24, verse eight says, all these things are, but the beginning of the birth pains, the beginning of the birth pains, meaning that when these things happen, when we see these things happen, the end is not yet. That's what he wants us to know. The end is not yet. They're the beginning of birth pains. And what Jesus seems to be telling us is that all those, these things will be going on will typify the experience of believers between his first and second coming to varying degrees and greater intensity. As we get closer, what's going to happen is that suddenly, and this is what he's leading up to suddenly and without warning, There is going to be a massive labor that comes upon the world, a massive labor that comes upon the world. I'm looking over at Juliana right now. She's like, you're due tomorrow, right? (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) A massive labor. You let me know. Uh, She'll be preaching the following weeks. Yeah. A massive labor suddenly. And as we discussed last week, this is going to come upon the world suddenly while they're saying peace and safety, there's going to be a great intensity in Bible. The Bible calls this time, the tribulation period. It's the seven years leading up to Jesus's return. And you divide it into in half. Basically, this is the first part of the tribulation. And then the second part of the tribulation called the great tribulation. We'll get more into that. 
as we move along in our study here in Matthew 24 and 25. It's important to remember that Jesus is preparing his disciples. He's preparing us, by the way, to encounter these events to a very, to the various degrees. You got to remember they're going to be experiencing. All of them are going to die except for John. Judas is going to betray them. They're all going to die. There's going to be wars and, and famines and earthquakes as we read about in uh, Acts that came about the whole nation. The churches are going to need to give uh, money to make sure the saints don't starve to death in Jerusalem. Jerusalem itself in 70 AD is going to be taken over and absolutely leveled and destroyed. Fulfilling probably the answer they have here. And so he's preparing them and he's preparing all believers for all time when these things happen in our midst, because quite often the world can seem absolutely chaotic around us and imagine them not having the internet and things are happening in Jerusalem or where they are in the, it, the place is being leveled. And it seems like, Hey, this is the end. Jesus is saying, no, that's not the end, but these things will be happening when the end comes. And what the disciples are asking Jesus in verse three is what will be the sign of your coming? What will be the end of the age? And so we must keep that in mind. Although we will see these things happening in our own context. They're the beginning of labor pains, he says. And, and we're experiencing these more deeply today and more globally today than it seems like we, we ever have before. And I'm not getting into, you know, the end is nigh and, and all this stuff. But guess what? The end is getting nearer. It is getting nearer. It's getting closer. But again, when these happen suddenly and globally and with an intensity that has never been seen before, the labor has begun. This is what Jesus wants his disciples to know. And that time of tribulation, the scriptures say, will be like no other time the world has ever experienced since or after. It is going to be unique to the world experience. Total global upheaval. And all these things are described in Revelation chapter 6 through 19. That's what that's about. But at the end of the tribulation, there will be the end of man's rule and reign. So the end of the age. And then, well, well, Jesus will come back and he's going to establish his kingdom. So the end of that kingdom, all the kingdoms of man described in Daniel there and his prophecies ending with the rock coming down and crushing them. The rock not made by human hands, Jesus Christ coming and establishing his kingdom on earth. Pretty, pretty fa fantastic. So the past two weeks we slowed down because we spent, and we spent significant time looking at two of the signs that Jesus would have us expect verses nine and 10, where Jesus said, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And so as we saw, in addition to false Christ and wars and rumors of wars and nations rising against nation and famine and pestilence and earthquakes in various places, the disciples and we can expect two more signs. One in verse nine, persecution, one in verse 10, apostasy, persecution and apostasy. Two things we can expect. And what we saw in the last couple of weeks is that we can expect that before Jesus returns, that there is going to be absolute persecution of believers 
because they bear his name, because they bear his name. And when the tribulation comes about, when that seven year period kicks off and the antichrist is revealed and praise God, if the church is gone, we love that. Then there will be sudden massive and worldwide persecution of Christians on a level that we've never seen as the beast makes war against the saints as you read about in Revelation 13. Now, there are, there are most likely, like I said, a rapture that happens at the beginning of that. That's what we're all hoping and praying for, right? And we pray for that sudden catching up of the church as the tribulation begins. And again, as I've mentioned before, good believers see that differently. So we need to not shoot each other over these, these different positions. Like, like I say, I, I, I'm, I'm pre-trib until I need to be mid-trib and then I'm, then I'm post. So that's kind of, <laughs> that's, I'm hoping for Jesus always, right? That's what we want to be doing, but we want to be prepared, right? Well, whatever your understanding of, of the rapture is, whether you believe in a pre or mid, or we're going through it, make no mistake. The scriptures are clear that there will be believers on the earth during that seven year period. And they are going to be persecuted on a global scale and they will be executed on a global scale. Let's read about that in Revelation 7 and Revelation 13. And one of the responses to persecution back in the disciples' day, in our time and in that time, will be a falling away. Will be a falling away, an apostasy. That's what the that's the scriptures talk about. Paul puts it as a rebellion in Second Corinthians chapter two, verse three. There'll be a rebellion. Again, apostasy, apostasy is a sign that Jesus gives us. He says, "When you see people falling away from following me, betraying and hating one another," as he describes them in verse ten, we know that the end is getting near. And we know from Matthew thirteen his parable about the sower. Uh, of the seed, when he casts seeds out, it lets the word of God lands on different hearts. Well, one of them was the thorny ground or the, the rocky ground. And that represents the one who receives the word with joy at first, but they have no root in themselves. No, the words really didn't, didn't take effect. Didn't produce fruit. That's how, you know, a believers of believers, they produce fruit, right? You'll know a tree by its fruit. Jesus said, so there's a superficial Christianity that's going on. But when they receive persecution on account of the word, and we talked about this in depth last week, because they are truly Christians, they hold to what God believes about everything, not what the world believes. When they start to receive heat for that, then they fall away. They say, forget it. I'm not doing this. And Jesus describes these people as those who will then betray and hate one another. It's the opposite of what a believer is. We don't betray one another. We love one another, right? That's the description there of, of a true believer. We read that in first John all over the place, actually. Well, this apostasy, this falling away from Jesus happened in, in the disciples day. It's happening now from persecution. And it also will happen then. And I mentioned to you, this is why we're slowing down is like, well, we're not getting persecuted. Like people aren't shooting us, but let me ask you, you stand for Jesus. You live for Jesus. You follow Jesus. How long are you keeping your job? Is it getting easier or harder? 
to identify as a Christian, to identify as a true believer and not have to compromise and back away and push, you know, okay, I'll, I'll do this and I'll do that. And I'll, you know, yeah, it's coming. It has been here. And so we acquiesce and we fall away because we don't love the truth truly when it comes down to it. We're not willing to suffer for his namesake. We're not willing to do those things. And I, I don't know into people's hearts, whether they're saved or not, but what Jesus is saying here is guess what? When the heat comes, there'll be a rebellion. They're going to be falling away, which I believe the scriptures show they true. They were, they were never believers all along. You can't get away from that, from the parables of Matthew 13. He's saying you've got three types of false believers and you've got one kind of true believer. The one who bears fruit, the one who perseveres, the one who abides, the one who remains believing. And so as we pick up in verse 11, there is another reason for those who fall away. It's not just persecution. And Jesus wants to know us this, this additional sign in verse 11, Jesus says, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. So people will fall away from following the Lord because they're, they're persecuted, but also because they are led astray by false prophets. So again, spiritual deception is something that Jesus wants you to be aware of. He wants me to be aware of. It's prevalent. He notice he uses the word many, many false prophets and many will fall away. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And so in their day, there would be many false prophets in our day. I'm assuming many false prophets. And in that day, there will be many false prophets, but there will be the false prophet, right? It's all culminating into the false Christ, the false prophet. And so false Christ back in verse five, spiritual deception, right? False Christ, those claiming to be Christ. And then now here, verse 11, false prophets, those claiming to speak on behalf of God. So, Jesus says that we can expect many false prophets leading many astray. Now there's many reasons why people are led astray by false prophets, by false teachers. I'll give you three reasons just in what I, what I see in scripture, three reasons real quickly. The first reason is that false prophets tell people what they want to hear. They tell you what you want to hear. That's pretty, that's pretty bad. Uh, Jeremiah, one of those guys that got thrown in a pit and, ignored for quite a long time because he was telling the nation of Judah what they didn't want to hear. I believe it was Judah. It was about 30, something like that, 30, 30 or 40 years before the fall of Judah, I think. But Jeremiah in 23, chapter 23, 16 through 70, he says this, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes, false hopes. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. Where, where are, where is what they're saying coming from? It's coming from their own hearts. We know it's actually if you reverse engineer it. It's the doctrine of demons, right? They're being influenced by the evil one, their own hearts, not the Lord, not from the mouth of the Lord. Verse 17, they say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord. Notice who they're speaking to and who's listening. Those who despise the word of the Lord. What are they saying? It shall be well with you. Everything's going to be awesome with you. Hmm. Prosperity gospel. Very interesting. It's going to be great. By the way, you need to cut me a check. Cause I still haven't had my Learjet. Right. 
it shall be well with you. And everyone who stubbornly follows their own heart, they will say no disaster shall come upon you. Peace and safety, peace and safety. This is all God has. And this is what people want to hear. And Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, listen, Hey, be careful. Cause there's coming a time when people are not going to endure sound doctrine, they're not going to care what the Bible says whatsoever. They're not going to care truth. They're going to gather teachers to themselves to tell them what they want to hear, to tickle their ears as the actual word uses. And that's what we see uh, often. It's hard to endure Bible teaching because it's talking about things that are difficult. It, it challenges. It's so much easy to listen to things that are fleshly, you know, there's, there's two ways of, of looking at the word, reading into it to get what you want out of it, to, to, to re, uh, reinforce what, the way you're living. Or you look at it for what it's saying and you change your life to fit what God says. This is why evil is so much easier. It's the easy path. It's the path of least resistance. And so one of the reasons people follow false prophets is because they tell them what they want to hear. That's a very powerful thing for all of us. Secondly, there are signs and wonders that they perform to deceive people into following them. There's a supernatural and demonic empowering behind them. And we've talked about it. We look at our nation right now and we wonder how in the world can we be doing what we were doing? We know it's weird. We know there's nonsense going on, but why do we just keep like falling off a cliff? We can't help it. We just keep going and going and going. Well, there's an influence behind that. There's a demonic influence. There's a powerful influence behind it. The scriptures say that the enemy has us basically Ephesians chapter two. He has us. We're his. We follow the prince of the power of the air by default. That's how we work. Unless we have a different ruler in our life, a different spirit within us, guiding us. And so this is the way the world goes. And so there is a a supernatural empowering to these charismatic leaders, these charismatic people. There's something behind them. We look at Hitler. We look back at him, for example, we go, what a crazy guy. Well, all those people, you know, whatever it was, there was the cult of personality, so to speak. They were drawn and we could see it was demonic. Obviously anybody who leads people to exterminate 6 million Jews, let alone everybody else. That's just insanity. And yet there we go. And then we look at the last hundred years of our history with all these crazy leaders, even in our own country, we get, we're off the rocker sometimes. It's just like, why do we do what we do? There is a pull and a sway of the enemy on us that we are not seeing. But nevertheless, it is there. And and what's happening is Jesus says, listen, the reason why people are going to follow these false Christ, the ones who say me, the ones, the reason why they're going to be following the false prophets, they're going to be believing it is because there's going to be a supernatural demonic empowering behind them. Now, what was typical of a true prophet of God is that he would speak on behalf of God. And then he would prove that what he was saying was true by the sign that he would perform afterwards. And he would often perform a sign with a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. That's quite, that's quite often what would happen. This is why 
In case you're ever wondering, the Pharisees kept going to Jesus and said, show us a sign. We, we see that you're talking on behalf of God, prove it. Show us a sign. Jesus says a wicked adulterous generation seeks a sign. I'm not going to show you any sign except for the sign of Jonah. And they're like, what? And we know the sign of Jonah is his death and resurrection. That's the sign I'm going to, I'm going to show you is that I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. That's the only sign I'm giving you. Even though he was doing wonders in their midst, their hearts were hard. And so signs typically followed a prophetic revelation given by prophets, but false prophets are the enemy's messengers. They're the ones empowered by the enemy. And so when they speak, what happens is that there's a supernatural charismatic empowering behind them. And their their message is, is deceitful. And also at times their works and like the magicians of Pharaoh, remember that? Moses cast down his stick. It turned to a snake. What did the magicians of Pharaoh do? They did the same. And then obviously Charlton Hessen snake ate the other ones, but. And so if there is a supernatural empowering and deception going on with false prophets, how can we know the difference? People are looking for signs. They're looking for the pizzazz. They're looking for the sign instead of the word. And so we look for the sign that's where all we're looking for. We're looking for the signs. How do we know? You know, so we can, we aren't led astray. And, and if you just flip down to verse 24, Jesus said, it's not possible that the elect are led astray. But how can we know? How can we spot someone who's a false prophet? How do we know? Well, Deuteronomy 13, one through four gives us great insight. Flip to your old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the last book of the, of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Gen- Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses one through four. It's good for you to know this, even though we'll probably pop it up on the screen. This is Moses. The Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, by the way, is the retelling of the law. They've been wandering in the wilderness. They're going to about to go back into the promise. They're going to go into the promised land and, and Deuteronomy means retelling. He's going to, he's standing there and he's retelling the nation, the law. And this is what he's telling them as they're about to enter in. Cause he's not going with them. He says, Deuteronomy 13 with you four says, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, And the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. Wow. Did you see that guy, that gal? Look what they did. They had a dream and it's just so deep and so amazing and so powerful. And by the way, what they said would happen came true. Oh, must be of God. Let's go off the cliff. Right. How do you test what well, he says? And it comes to pass with the sign they did or the dream they had. And then, then he says to you, let's go after other gods. Obviously this is, this is, this is the context they'd have. Let's go after other gods. Let's not follow the Lord. Let's do something else. Like you did back then. Let's build the golden calf. Let's go after other gods, which you have not known and let us serve them What does he say you should do? Verse three, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams for the Lord. Your God is testing you. Listen, where the enemy tempts, God tests where the enemy tempts, God tests same word, different, different perspective. 
where the enemy comes in and seeks to take you away. God would seek to prove you that you're his. Remember that God is not a tempter. For the Lord, your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord God with all your heart, and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord, your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. And you shall serve him and hold fast to him. That's what you need to do. You turn from that Turkey and you love God. You serve him. You see false prophets aim is to lead you away from loving God. Aim move you away from serving God to move you away from having your heart and your soul focused on Jesus. False prophets want to point you in a different way. And it's usually to line their own pockets. Heavy stuff there. And here's the interesting thing about, about false prophets. It doesn't make a difference who you're following. As long as it's not Jesus. That's that the enemy's game is you can be religious as religious can be. As long as it's the wrong Jesus. As long as you, you can go to church all day long, as long as you're not following Jesus, he doesn't care. You can do all these kinds of things. As long as you've got, you're off on him. You're not following the Lord. You're not loving the Lord. It's he's got you. All false religion has its root in him. And those who do not love God, who are not his, they fail the test when they're led astray. And so false prophets cause many to fall away because firstly, they tell people what they want. Their wicked hearts want to know. They tell them what they want to hear. Secondly, because there's a demonic empowering behind it. They, 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 they are, are caught up by the signs. And thirdly, which is a combination of these because God gives them over to what their heart wants. That's the third thing I've seen in my studies that God gives them over to what their heart wants. In, that, in 2 Thessalonians 2, which we're going to get to next week when we finally get to the Antichrist. I apologize. I've been saying it like three weeks. We're going to talk about the Antichrist. Haven't gotten there. Next week, I'm praying. It says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 9, the coming of the lawless one, that's the Antichrist, is by the activity of Satan with all the power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so to be saved. The deception is coming for those who refuse to love the truth. Who is the truth? You've rejected Jesus. That's the only way a person can be saved is you love him. And so they've rejected him in verse, you know, and then verse 11 says, therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that they may be condemned and not believe the truth, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. Listen, the third thing is that God gets involved and when God gets involved with someone who hates and rejects him over and over and over, it's God just is in his judgment. He gives people over to what they want. You want the lie. Here's the lie. And he allows you to go. You don't want to be in that place. I don't want to be in that place. That's why those who are the elect, those who love Jesus, I'm seeing the elect. Cause that's what Jesus says in verse 24. We're not going to be deceived because our eyes are on him. Amen. Praise God. And we pray for those who aren't yet, that they would come to know him and be changed as well. And so we know 
that Jesus is saying that this is a sign coming soon, the falling away, not because of, not only because of persecution, not only because of false prophets, but also verse 12. It's interesting because lawlessness will be increased. The love of many will grow cold. It's interesting. Jesus says, verse 12, another two more signs that we need to be aware of. And before his return, lawlessness and lovelessness, lawlessness and lovelessness, two signs. I know this is the real pick me up season in our church here with uh, preaching on Matthew 24, but God wants us to know what we're heading into lawlessness and lovelessness. It's going to be increased. Lawlessness will be increased. Jesus says. Raise your hands. Do you see lawlessness increasing? You know, I know from the American perspective, we've gone through a lot in this nation. There's been times of absolute chaos, right? So I don't want to say that there haven't been turbulent times and things that are awful. But in my life, in my experience in the past, especially this past several years, there's been a massive increase of just national lawlessness, just the spirit of lawlessness within our culture, within our people. And I would say, obviously, this expands globally. But just talking about us for a minute, we've had a taste of this. Remember when Seattle had six, was it six blocks of it or whatever it was? like totally like taken over and no one can get in and out. It was just lawless there taken over. The government did absolutely zero for how long, how long was that occupied over there? Six months in Seattle, business owners having to leave all this stuff, lawlessness, the stuff going on in Portland to this day. I'm not saying that people don't have legitimate gripes about things. That's not what I'm saying, but there's lawlessness about, right? You can't even go into certain sections of, of Portland right now without being really in fear of your life, concerned for your life. There's really bad things happening. We've seen major cities with riots and looting just at will. No one's stopping anything. Just going like we've never seen before. Not only here, but around the world. You're hearing about in Paris and other places, obviously. The at-will shoplifting with no recourse whatsoever. Just people walking into stores, grabbing stuff. No one doing anything. Cops aren't coming. Nothing's happening. The senseless beating of elderly people by groups of teenagers. We see it all the time. Major cities. Just people just randomly going up to old older folks and smacking them and hitting them and taking all their stuff. I mean, just groups and of thugs of people doing this stuff, you know, the insanity of desiring to dismantle the police to the point where the innocent are without protection. That's insane. Lawlessness. I'm not saying that certain people don't have particular reasons for being upset what they're experiencing things, but to dismantle society, to absolutely have lawlessness where there's no response in our cities at times. I, I saw a video. Someone actually was here. They were on their honeymoon and they went to San Francisco and they're in traffic and they're 
stopping in front of them and people there's a car in front of them people are getting out in mask and going to each car looking if there's something they just drive them from car to car and car and car to car to car to see what's going on nothing the un the insanity of of that is just i cannot believe it the the unchecked savagery that's allowed to go on this this country regarding abortion whatever roe v wade we just keep massively murdering children. It's just horrible. The unchecked savagery regarding what were the transing of our youth. That somehow that has become a virtue in our culture. What's going on? Lawlessness. Disregard. No moral foundation whatsoever. It's gone. And we can go on and on and we're seeing an increase of lawlessness right now. And we all feel it. I mean, we're in Walla Walla. So my guess is the percentage of gun owners is if you've ever been around on the 4th of July, it's like there's a military operation going on. People like their explosions and, and things here. But I'm just saying, if you, if you tried to buy ammo, I mean, it's a little, it's kind of getting back on the shelves now, but I mean, for the past five or six years, it's just like, it's gone. I mean, it's totally gone. Gun sales are at record high. Ammo is hard to find. Why? Because people sense an underlying lawlessness that is happening in our country. They don't know how to deal with it. They're, there's more preppers than ever. There's an isolation. There's all this stuff going on. Listen, people are arming up. Why are we arming up? Why is this going on? Because lawlessness is increasing. It's increasing and the police aren't going to come. This is what's going on. Jesus said it. And there are more people. I mean, there's just a loss of our sense of order and decency in society. I'm not trying to paint it bad, but are we, am I insane? Or are we actually, we're all sensing this to a certain degree. There are more people isolating, more people prepping, more people withdrawing, full of anxiety and depression and fear over what is going on. And we haven't even begun to see the lawlessness that will, will spread. And there's a total disregard for God's word going on and his way and his people. It's on the rise. It's happening. And when the Holy Spirit lifts his hand of restraint upon the world as the tribulation begins, we haven't seen anything yet. Terrible times are coming. And Jesus says that because of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. The second sign, the love of many will grow cold. Again, in my lifetime, I've seen the love of many grow cold. I struggle with it. Anyone else? Caring? How's everybody just caring in general? In the face of everything going on, love is not the easy road, is it? Love is not the easy road. And by the way, the word here for love is agape. It's God's kind of perfect love. It seems to be as we are made in his image, we have a reflection of him in that we do have an element of agape love within us. His love. And that word agape is often translated as charity. 
It's a love that gives regardless of some, if someone can give back. And when you lose that in a society, when you lose just a, a sensitivity to the suffering around you, when you lose a, a, when you lose that God given love for just the hurt and the suffering and the, and, and all this type of stuff around you, what happens to a society? People don't care. And this is what Jesus is saying will grow cold among many, not all, but many, the charitable heart that people have towards one another, not even in a redeemed sense, but as a natural affection towards your fellow man, this will grow cold as his return draws near. There's going to be more lovelessness. Paul in second Timothy three, one through five, second Timothy three, one through five, Paul says this, but understand this Timothy, that in the last days, there will be, there will come times of difficulty or perilous times. I love the new King James. There will be perilous times. Why? For people will be abounding in love. Now, who are they going to be loving? They're going to be lovers of self. That's where the love is going. A love that grows cold is a self-love. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. And he goes on to say, but you haven't been learned in that. You followed my model. And Paul says, imitate me as I follow, as I follow Christ. In other words, Christ is the opposite of all those things. And this is what the church is. And this is our witness to the world. If we're born again, our love doesn't grow cold. It increases as we love Jesus. We love people more deeply, more profoundly. And this is our light. And not a, a, and by the way, God's love never compromises his truth. It's not the world's love. It is his love. And so the affection of the human heart turning from its God-given capacity to be directed outward instead is directed inward as love grows cold. Is your love growing cold? Lawlessness and loveness is our signs and these will become worse right before his turn is return. I would encourage you to read Hebrews 10 talks about what we're to be about Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. I don't have time to go for it right now, but please do. And so this is what Jesus tells us quickly as we end in the midst of all this, these things that will be going around us in the midst of false Christ wars and rumors of wars, nation rising against nation kingdom against kingdom against famines and earthquakes and apostasy and false prophets and lawlessness and lovelessness. Sounds like a wonderful environment. In the midst of all of that, Jesus wants us to go, this is going to go on in the midst of all that verse 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But the end, the one who endures to the end, the end of what? The end of you. The one who, who, who survives whatever smattering of this stuff happens. The one who does not get overcome. The one who overcomes will be saved. Now is that saying we're saved because we overcome? No, it is not. That's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what the Bible teaches. 
It's not a works-based salvation. What he is saying is that believers believe. We persevere. A good tree bears good fruit. So when these things happen, do we get tossed and, and all these things? Of course, we have seasons where we're struggling with all this. But guess what happens? We look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and he gives us what we need every single day, the life we need to persevere. That's who, it is. That's who we look to. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Who endured to the end? Oh, Jesus. Yeah, he did, didn't he? He fulfilled what God had told him to do his word above his want, so to speak. And that's what we do. His word above our want. Not to say Jesus's want was ever off. And so this is not saying that you're saved because you persevere. It's saying that perseverance is the evidence of the one whom God has and will save. Salvation has you have been saved. You're being saved and you will be saved that three aspects. But I've said it before. Believers believe. Our faith doesn't stop. We hold fast to the confession, right? And so skipping ahead. Yes. This is what Revela- revelation two uh, through three says to us as Jesus speaks to the churches. Just want to close on this. That's when he says to the churches. I'll just read revelation two, seven. He's writing to the seven churches and he says this. John's penning it down. At the end of the letter to Ephesus, he says to the one who conquers the one who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God to Smyrna in in chapter two, verse nine, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death to Pergamum in two 17 to the one who conquers. I will give some of the hidden manna and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. To Thyatira in chapter two, verses 25 through 28, only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end to him, I will give authority over the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And when the earth and pots are broken in peace, and even as I myself received authority from my father and I will give him the morning star to Sardis in chapter three, verse five, though to the one who conquers the one who overcomes will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father, before the angels It's a church of Philadelphia in three twelve. to the one who conquers. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name to Laodicea. Finally, the seventh church in chapter three, verse 21 of revelation says the one who conquers to the one who overcomes, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne to the one who overcomes to the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is what believers do. We believe in Jesus to the end. And it's him doing it in us. That's an amazing thing. The power comes from him. It's amazing. I don't understand it, but nevertheless, he says it. And it seems to be an echo here of Jesus's words. By the way, he was in the ear. Let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. He says that to every single church after he says to he overcomes he who has an ear, let him hear. 
What does that mean? He who has an ear, he who has an ear, let him hear. If you're listening, you'll overcome. Well, who hears? Seems to be an echo of what John, of Jesus said in John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. So, well, what about the last sign? Verse 14, just, just read it. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Jesus gets through all of this to finally say the gospel will be preached and then the end will come. Well, who's it preached by? Well, first by the church, we preach the gospel. That's your role. That's our role. We proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We're going to talk about it at the men's retreat. Well, in the tribulation period, it seems that there'll be 144,000 and also two witnesses proclaiming the gospel. But then there's an angel who proclaims the everlasting gospel. Just everybody's going to hear it. By the way, there's other angels proclaiming other things, but it gets super supernatural towards the end. Everybody's going to hear it. And Jesus says, then the end will come. Now it doesn't mean there's not things happening in between all that, which Jesus comes back to about the antichrist, but he's given them a synopsis. All this stuff's going to be going on. You persevere. You keep your eyes on me. There'll be a preaching of the gospel. The, the end will come. So a lot there, a lot there. So what happens when stuff goes crazy in our society, in our world? Ah, it's the end. Not yet. Not yet. Keep your eyes on Jesus. When do you do that today? Get your life focused on him, abandon sin and just, Start connecting with one another, loving one another, giving one another. Don't let your love go cold. Let him live in and through you. Amen. Jesus is awesome. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for not leaving us in the dark, for revealing the mystery of what is going on and what will come. And Lord, as the world loses itself, we're so thankful that we are found in you. We have an anchor behind the veil. Keep us protect us, lead us, cause us to be a light in the darkness, God. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Lord bless all of you. Have a wonderful week.